0: Hello and welcome to Forex Focus, UBP's FX podcast. My name is Peter Kinsella and I'm the Global Head of FX Strategy at UBP. I have the honor, the privilege and the pleasure to be joined uh, by Ulrich Leuchman, who's the uh, the Head of FX Research at Commerce Bank. So uh, Uli, how are you doing? Are you well? Hey, Peter. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Very good. Very good. So we've decided that we're going to talk about emerging market currencies today. And really, the, there's been quite a lot of, I would say, interest, you know, all over the world um, with clients regarding, you know, the outlook for emerging market currencies. And I suppose to get this started, we could begin the discussion by talking, first of all, briefly about the dollar. And I guess the beginning of this year, we had this kind of consensus narrative that the dollar would weaken over the course of the year, and this was going to be good for for emerging market currencies. But since then, really, what we've seen is the dollar hasn't quite weakened; uh, it's even appreciated a little bit. But many emerging market currencies are under a lot of a lot of pressure. And what's your what's your take on that?
1: Well, Peter, look. I mean, at the moment, inflation expectations for the US are around two point six percent for the basically for the next twenty four months. And you can have a view of the Fed whatever you like. If inflation would stay so high for two years, then certainly the Fed would have to hike interest rates and ha- would have to hike them in a relatively aggressive manner, I would argue more aggressively than they did in the last hiking cycle, because then they re- would really have to bring inflation down. So they would have to provide higher real interest rates. And this is certainly something which is a completely new picture for the world. I mean, we have been stuck in this low inflation environment for so long, and the chance that the, at least the U.S. gets out of it in the foreseeable future is something which will change the world. Basically, all this. Global saving glut from which the e- emerging markets profited so much, I think, is now questioned by the market.
0: If you take this view for inflation outlook for granted, I think that that's that's kind of really interesting because if we if we look at emerging market currencies themselves, they they're kind of in in my view perhaps caught in a you know between a rock and a hard place. In that, if we look at EM, we see certainly higher US yields. So the ten-year yield in the states as has risen to. 1.7 1.8 percent and at the same time we see emerging market inflation is starting to increase so if we look at russia if we look at brazil and and turkey right so it, it seems to me that they they're having to raise interest rates at a kind of you know in in a, a high inflation but slightly low growth environment for them and it's hardly a, ideal is it yeah that's true i mean the, the last decade
1: basically has been high time for emerging markets in a certain sense as they enjoyed low inflation could afford low interest rates, and therefore this is something which, if the market's view on U.S. inflation and therefore on the U.S. Fed is wrong, uh, is, is not completely wrong, then this nice scenario might end soon. You can only be a positive on emerging markets, I think, if you think that uh, the U.S. inflation and Fed outlook is is overdone at the moment. Uh, we will not see as high inflation rates as, as is priced in at the moment. Only this can be a basis for, really positive EM
0: outlook, I think. And do you think this is a structural issue or is it more of an idiosyncratic story? So if we look at Turkey, for example, which has been, uh, I would say, you know, it's been both the best and then the worst emerging market currency, you know, in the last six months, right? Yeah. Um, you know, how, do you think this is just a, a simple idiosyncratic t- lira story or is it a part of a wider issue? Look, Peter, I mean, we always have these
1: idiosyncratic stories, and, and Turkey really is the extreme case. And I would argue that whatever comes in terms of U.S. inflation, Fed policy, yields, et cetera, Turkish lira has significant downside potential, basically because they they are doing everything wrong. They can do wrong on, on the monetary policy side. I see. Therefore, therefore, you always have these idiosyncratic stories, and, and Turkey is an extreme case there. But in general, I think... Um, you know how it is uh, those those idiosyncratic stories if they are not extreme in Turkey are often largely ignored by markets for a long time and only when when there is pressure on emerging markets in general then these pop up like we saw uh, in 2013 when we had this last taper tantrum there was this talk about fragile five therefore markets get focused on those idiosyncratic factors once there is a fundamental pressure on emerging markets in general. And therefore, if this pressure would arise, it would not be uniform across all emerging markets. Um, The financial markets would pick those those stories which are most vulnerable, certainly. And therefore, therefore, idiosyncratic stories are more important in an
0: environment which, in general, is problematic for EMs. I think that, that kind of definitely would make a lot of sense to me. And, and in particular, I suppose, in a structural sense, if I look at EM, if we compare EM now to say EM after the global financial crisis. So at the time, you know, many emerging markets, they were forced to raise interest rates very aggressively. You have interest rates of roughly 14% or, you know, 10 or 14% in Brazil, very high rates of 8 or 9% in Mexico, et cetera. And, you know, th- that that led to a big, sort Of capital in flight towards emerging markets post, you know, the you know, or during the Fed's quantitative easing first QE policy. Now, if I look at EM now, it, you know, if I look at Brazil, we've got a SELIC rate of about 2.5 percent. Um, you know, in Mexico, we've got a base rate of four, 4.25 percent, and indeed a similar rate in Russia. Is there a case to say that the, the overall carry outlook in emerging markets is simply much smaller than it was before?
1: It is, and therefore. This can be very bad for emerging markets and, and and might cause really stressful scenarios. But only if this global saving glut really is over now. If if this global saving glut persists, if you have, if, again, a continuation of the situation where uh, savings in developed markets does not match the uh, investment demand there, then we still need some capital flow out of DMs into EMs. And therefore, in this environment, if if the saving glut continues, this certainly isn't something where it's not a good time for emerging markets, but not a catastrophic time. If the saving glut really ends now, then there uh, can be crisis scenarios, I would say. But, but sure. for me, it's very difficult to decide if, if the saving glut really is over. For me, it's very difficult to decide that after such a long period of, of saving blood like situation suddenly corona has changed everything and we come back to the to the, the days before 2008 i mean you can make this case but but it's not sure and therefore therefore i still have hope for emerging markets that they can perhaps not outperform dramatically but at least
0: avoid crisis like scenarios sure i mean it's, i'm on that point i mean if, if we look at it. EM sort of uh, economic performance. and I, I think we probably need to make the distinction between emerging markets excluding China, or, you know, um, you know, th- because I think there's a big difference when, when when you take out or when you strip out China from EM aggregate growth, you're left with EM aggregate growth, probably around 1.8%. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty low. OK, yeah. and certainly looking at the likes of Russia. You know uh, brazil mexico if we look at per capita gdp today it's basically the same place it was 10 years ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and uh, you know for me is is it the case that if i look at it okay we've had basically a lost decade in in many emerging markets and looking into it it's it's pretty clear that, that there's just no increase in the capital stock of, of emerging markets and, you know excluded with the exception of china And in your view, does that sort of fact, you know, does does that lead to more further structural problems down the line, particularly if we have this, the end of this savings glut?
1: Peter, I fully agree with you. You can argue that the capital that has has gone into emerging markets in the last years was not very well spent. It did not increase their uh, per capita GDP potential very much. Sure. And therefore, therefore, it's only this special situation that we saw so much saving hunting for yields that, that has driven us into a situation where emerging markets nevertheless performed quite well in the last 10 years. So basically, yeah, you need these special circumstances. If they end, the basic fundamentals of emerging markets are in general quite weak, sure. And um, I, I mean, this is therefore the, the, the reason why we see so many of those problematic idiosyncratic stories pop up, not only in Turkey, but also in Brazil and other, uh, in other places. Therefore, yeah, sure. From a from a very basic, fundamental point of view, emerging markets are not in very good shape. Uh, add to this all this political stress with Russia and in uh, many other cases, there there are, there are bad stories to make. And the only thing that that, that that keeps them up at the moment is this lot of money that is is hunting for any opportunity
0: to avoid negative uh, real yields. Uh, Yeah, kind of the the carry at any cost uh, arguments, (laughs) which I I think is fair. And if we do see, you know, continued, you know, large current account surpluses, particularly from the likes of the eurozone, that money has to go somewhere, right? Um, You know, and and it will be parked in offshore assets and, you know, that there will be this ongoing hunt for yield. So I, I definitely do get that argument. But then is that an argument to say that actually we need more differentiation in terms of EM? And so in that case, what's a good EM and then what's a bad EM
1: in your yeah, view? Yeah, for for me, a good EM uh, is, is a uh, emerging market where monetary policy is reactive. I mean, we see rising inflation pressure building up in, in many emerging markets and in many developed markets as well. So it very much depends on is a central bank reactive. Therefore, I think Turkey is this worst example where there are zero or even negative uh, uh, reactive on on uh, inflation pressure, while in other emerging markets, perhaps in Russia, I- in monetary policy is is better. In Russia, you have special problems with politics and all the like. Therefore, therefore there are other problems. But I think Russia is the best case for a, a monetary policy which is responsive, where the market is is convinced that the central bank would react, perhaps. A little bit later than sooner on rising inflation pressure and therefore this for me makes a difference between a good and a bad investment in emerging markets
0: yeah i think that that definitely kind of makes sense uh, you know regarding sort of the monetary credibility you know um and certainly russia's monetary credibility would be far far stronger than turkey's i think there's there's no question about that um, I can't i can't finish the discussion without a quick I would say a quick comment on china and uh, and on the chinese renminbi and, and what's your overall feeling on, on renminbi from from current levels
1: best part of this pandemic phase china enjoyed this extra uh, economic boom from the fact that we all are not spending very much on services and therefore spending much more on goods which come from china through global value chains and therefore this was a story which which will end once the lockdown phase is over and um, consumption patterns at least partly normalize, um, and I think Chinese authorities are aware of this fact, and therefore, were leaning against the wind, against the pressure of RMB uh, 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 appreciation. At the same time, uh, if this ends and would create too much pressure on RMB, I think Chinese authorities would lean into the other direction. We are seeing first signals of that one. Um, so they basically want to flatten um, the, the the path of Renminbi fluctuations. This is something which they cannot 100% do, but therefore, I think in general, we should not expect too much volatility, especially not in trade-weighted
0: renminbi terms. Sure, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I suppose, you know, what we had last year was this big yield pickup argument, you know, people getting out of treasuries, which were then, you know, yielding 70 basis points getting into long you know domestic chinese bond positions giving three 3.2 percent it was a no-brainer um particularly in a, in a very very stable currency um i guess really whilst we may see some you know short-term profit taking you know as, as you always do um would you say that the i would say the longer term outlook is still for one of you know very stable or even a, a modest appreciation pro- profile in the years ahead
1: yeah, I, I, I think very stable is, is something which describes it quite well. Uh, we will see fluctuations, but they will be dampened. I think in the long run, Chinese authorities cannot afford to have a very strong enemy. Um Chinese exports might come under pressure because we see that even after Trump, um, US uh, trade policy is something which is not very supportive. Uh, uh, for China's uh, trade performance. And therefore, they cannot afford a very strong renminbi, I think. At the mm-hmm. same time, they cannot afford um, sharp depreciation of B. We have seen that in the past when we saw severe capital flights out of China. This is something which was very dangerous at that time, and they will avoid it. Therefore, you can bet on a policy error on one or other side. But the most safe bet would be they they manage to get it right, at least in the medium run.
0: Okay, that that's fantastic. That's great. Um, excellent. Well, listen, Uli, uh, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up the, uh, the podcast there. and uh, Thank you very, very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, we'd like to thank uh, every, all of our listeners for, uh, for listening today. Thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you, Peter.